Welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Crawley, and we ended Tuesday's pod talking about some good mortgage news. So I thought, why not start Wednesday's pod with the same information, a.k.a. good news, because the good news is continuing, according to the latest CoreLogic Loan Performance Insights report that said, even though total loans were unchanged month to month, serious delinquencies have fallen to a pandemic low. That's good news. Month over month in May of 2021, 4.7% of total home mortgages were in some stage of delinquency. As I mentioned, that is unchanged from April. However, year over year, the delinquency rate was down 2.6 percentage points from May 2020, which is an improvement from 1.4% year over year decrease that we saw in April. So we are moving in the right direction. You know, we're seeing the amount of loans that are delinquent drop. And of course, we're seeing the amount of loans in forbearance also drop, moving in the right direction. Now, when looking at the different stage of delinquency is really where we see the good news. So early stage delinquencies were at 1.2%, which is down from 3% in May of 2020. Mid-stage delinquencies were at 0.3%, which was a big drop from the 2.8% that we saw in May of 2020. And serious delinquencies were actually up year over year, but... This is the lowest the number has been since we saw the big jump, the initial jump in serious delinquencies in June of 2020. So I will take that as good news. Dr. Frank Nothiff, the chief economist for CoreLogic, explained how rising home prices have helped homeowners, even those who are in forbearance and those who are delinquent, saying, quote, the rise in home prices has built a substantial home equity cushion for homeowners with a mortgage, reducing the risk of a foreclosure. The CoreLogic Home Price Index recorded an annual increase of 17% in June. The price rise built home equity. Now, for most borrowers in forbearance, the equity gain means they still have some remaining, even if they missed payments and are added to their loan balance. I mean, this was kind of the benefit of these prices rising is people who are in a home they can't afford anymore, they can say, okay, I'm gonna sell it and maybe even make some money on this transaction. A far cry from 2008 where it's like, oh yeah, I actually owe 130% of what this home is worth, I'm taking off. So we're not seeing that. So here's my big question. Will the Facebook economists who predicted the housing crash because of loans and forbearance finally admit they were wrong. I think I saw that comment so many times, especially at the end of last year, beginning of this year. Oh, they're the government's keeping this suppressed and there's going to be this huge housing crash when the uh, eviction moratorium ends, which I would like to see that end. And we would see an increase in foreclosures, but I mean, come on. Crash is not going to happen. Oh, and speaking of the crash, not happening. There was a piece over at Fortune by Lance Lambert who says it looks like finally the crazy is leaving the hot housing market, but don't think for a second that means a crash is imminent. Instead, what we're looking at is more of a cooling down. So what exactly does he mean by cooling down? Well, he says the industry sees cooling off as more of a return to normalcy. 
writing, quote, while home prices over the past 12 months are up a staggering 17.2%, CoreLogic forecasts just a 3.2% appreciation coming in the next 12 months. So you're still going to see growth, just not the record historic growth that we've been seeing. Once again, far away from a crash. So the big question always follows, are you sure we're not going to be seeing a crash? Lambert argues it is hard for a crash to happen when we are still experiencing record low inventory levels, writing, quote, for a housing bust to occur, there would likely need to be a supply glut. We're currently at the opposite end of that spectrum. Now, it should be noted, and I can't remember where I saw this, but there was an argument that that can quickly change, especially when homes are drastically overpriced, or I should say uh, lending standards dropped to the levels that we saw in 2008, which led to homes being overpriced because you had unqualified buyers entering the buyer market, which gave sort of a misrepresentation misrepresentation of where the sort of supply demand dynamic was. But unless that happens, and in that case, what happened was you saw a complete 180 degree reversal. So all of a sudden you went from not being able to find a home till there were plenty of homes available because of all the foreclosures and prices were dropping and it was a horrible domino effect. Once again, that is not what we're seeing in 2008. Sure, we're seeing people walk away. That's, that is happening. There's no doubt about that. And we are seeing some prices kind of cool off, but we're not seeing that lending standard collapse, which means we're lending to the right people. We're not going to see a crash take place. That is, that is probably the most important element of avoiding 2008. Now, Lambert argues that some of what we're seeing is a result of would-be buyers simply taking a break because of sky-high prices, but he also argues that seasonality appears to be coming back as well. This is kind of the normal ebb and flow of the housing market during the fall, especially the end of the summer, People go on vacation, they're getting ready for school, they're not. They're definitely not thinking about moving, and then it slows down even more in the fall, then of course ramps back up in the spring. We didn't really see that last year because of how hot things were, but now we're actually moving back to a regular kind of seasonal housing market. There will still be activity, and it will still be above level, but just not where we were, say, a year ago. Now, Lambert does get into some wild cards that could throw off the calculation. He talks about COVID. You never know what's going to happen with that. Of course, obviously, uh, policy changes, things of that nature. There's a lot of other factors. But for the most part, what we're seeing is a cool down. Now, if you want to read the whole article, like everything else we talk about here on the podcast, all you got to do is sign up for the companion newsletter available at the website. Easy enough to remember marketsandmortgages.com. Now, before we go, I do want to talk about the latest data on productivity, which is actually a really important part of our economy. It's how our economy grows. That's what you want to see. You want to see productivity growing. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I think China is somewhat of a house of cards because they're already seeing their productivity levels drop. That should not be happening with where their economy is in its developmental stage. It should not be, you should not be seeing a pullback of productivity. That should be through the roof. So what's happening in the United States? Let's bring it home here. So we got Q2 data yesterday, and unfortunately, growth slowed. Now it didn't reverse, but it did slow, unfortunately. Non-farm productivity increased at a 2.3% annualized rate, 
in the second quarter. That, of course, is down from the 4.3% revised rate that we saw in Q1. Now, productivity was up 2.3% compared to the last quarter and was up 1.9% compared to Q2 2020. Now, unfortunately, this was a swing and a miss. The Economist had forecasted a growth rate of 3.5%, so they missed it by even more than a whole point. So that's not a good sign, but productivity continues to grow along with wages, and what's interesting is that hours worked is falling. So output on total is now up 1.2% above pre-pandemic levels, but hours worked is almost 3% below that. So we're seeing more productivity and less work. That's what you want to see. You want to see the output up, less hours worked. That's what you want to see. That's good. That's good for, that's good for all of us. You don't have to work as much and you're producing more. Hourly compensation rose at 3.3% in the second quarter, which is up from the revised 1.4% growth pace in Q1. So the way I looked at this report was productivity was not dissimilar from what we saw from the overall growth rate in the second quarter. It's not the number. It's not that the numbers aren't impressive. It's just they aren't as impressive as some of the more optimistic predictions that we saw at the start of the year. I mean, you remember everyone was saying, oh my gosh, we could see 10% growth in the second quarter. And then it comes in at six and a half and everyone's like, oh, that sucks. And it's six and a half percent growth. <laughs> That's a pretty good growth rate, but it wasn't as oppressive as 10%. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. So the good news is we continue to move in the right direction. The bad news not as fast as originally thought. Now, before we go, I did want to give you a update on what's going to be happening today that we'll be talking about on tomorrow's pod. We got mortgage demand coming out at 7 a.m., so not too long from now. And then, of course, we got the, ooh, the big CPI data dropping at 8.30 a.m. We'll be talking about it on tomorrow's pod. You guys, enjoy your Wednesday, and as always... Do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.